Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, help us to see what you want us to see. And Lord, open our, may the scales fall off from our eyes. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look in the story of Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do when God was looking for them? Note what the Bible says. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what is that word? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. In other words, Adam and, okay, before this time, what would you think about it? How was the relationship of Adam and Eve with God? When God was coming to the Garden of Eden, what would happen? What would Adam and Eve do? He would what? They would what? They'd run to greet him because they, they longed for that intimacy with God, right? That closeness, that oneness they had with God. And they loved it. But now you see something different. Now you see a, a situation that God was coming in and he's calling Adam, Eve, right? Where are you? And now rather than running to God, they're running away from God. They're running from intimacy from God. In the same way today, there are many people who are hiding themselves from having any intimacy with God as well. You know, I had a church member that said to me, you know, Pastor, I'm such a private person that not only do I not tell my a hard time opening up to my husband, I have a hard time even opening up to God. And again, is that possible to happen to anyone here today? Look at verse 10. Now the question is why? I like to ask the question why and everything. I like to go look to the root cause and discover what is the root cause. Otherwise it says we need to reason from cause to the effect. Look to the source. Discover what is the root cause. Don't just look at the symptoms and patch things up on that needs to be dealt with. You've got to go back to the root cause. So why were they hiding from the presence of God? The Bible says here in verse 10, why? It says, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was what? Afraid. So in other words, Adam and Eve experienced fear. You know, fear is a powerful force. The Bible says perfect love casts out what? Fear. fear, right? So when love exists, fear does not exist. Are you following me, right? Fear can exist in the presence of love. But I want you to notice the opposite is true as well. Love cannot exist in the presence of fear. So in a relationship, I give an example. In a relationship of domestic violence, or even an environment where the husband is always fighting, or boyfriend's fighting with a girl. How many of you have been in abusive relationships like that, where you're always fighting? I've been in too many. Now, I remember I had a relationship with this girl, and we were dating, and I decided to break up with her. And we went on a date to dinner, and after the restaurant, we were going, and then she said, I took a pill. I said, what? And we were, I told her we were breaking up. I said, what? I said, I took a pill. So what did you take? Oh, I don't know. And so here, like, I'm panicking, right? So I took her to the ER. I'm panicking. And I was like, wait, should I stay with her? Should I break it off? Are you following me? And the only thing that was keeping me in that relationship was fear that she would kill herself. Are you following me? But when fear is there, even domestic violence a spouse may beat up another spouse, right? And what's keeping that person from leaving is what? Fear. But the danger of fear in every relationship, and even if you say you, you actually give a person a cold shoulder, right? Or like you don't talk for your spouse for days or your boyfriend or girlfriend for days. The only reason why they want to be nice again is because, 
or not do something again is not because of love for them, but because they're afraid that you're going to give them the cold shoulder. Are you following me? So not only does, when there is love, fear cannot exist, but where there is fear, love cannot exist. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? So that's what happened here. They ran from intimacy. So, and the Bible says God is what? Love, right? So God is love. So because they had fear of God, right? They couldn't have intimacy with God because God is love. Fear chased love away, right? Is that not true? We live in a world of, I think it's over 530 documented phobias or fears that's out there. Did you know that? There's a fear of everything out there. The reason why we don't do certain things is because we're afraid. That's what's happening. We're afraid of um, this or that. What actually gets us set in a certain way of thinking is because something happened to us in the past that created this fear, right? In other words, before Adam and Eve had this relationship with God, there was no fear. It was this open intimacy and love with God. But something happened. What? They did something, and they ate the fruit, and it made them think differently about God and created a fear that Satan wanted them to believe in their minds. And that fear broke the intimacy with God. So, in your handout, you notice what it says. It says, if you're hurt, you hide and you isolate yourselves, you build up walls around your heart. And what's the point of building a wall around your heart? Why do people build walls around their heart for intimacy? Protection, because they don't want to get hurt again. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? That makes sense? Okay, so now we know there's walls around our hearts to protect ourselves from being hurt again. And, but here's the thing. I remember... Not the first girl, but the first official girlfriend I had when I was in high school. Well, okay, official, real, okay? I mean, we had like, oh, be my girlfriend, but like real kind, like a long term. I was 14 years old, okay? And then I remember that I will never forget that time. You know, we had our problems, and we thought, I thought it was going great. Until that time, we all went out with a group of friends, and I met some new people. I'm 14. I don't have my license yet. And here comes this guy who's 15, and he has his own van. <laughs> and I lose her to him. <laughs> I, I hurt my heart. What happened to my heart? It broke. How did I feel? Hurt, right? My heart is hurt. What do you think I'm going to do naturally without experiencing any healing? Without God? What am I going to do when I feel hurt in my heart? Build up a wall. Is that true, right? A build up a wall. So what? The next time, what? I won't get hurt. But the danger is this. Thinking that when you actually build a wall around your heart and the next relationship you come, they're going to have to jump over that wall in order to get to your heart. So actually by that very thing that you do is the very means that actually ends up destroying your relationship because you're not transparent anymore and innocent like you once used to be when you were as innocent as a little child, right? If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? So the walls are built. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were, built, they were afraid of God. They fear, so they put a wall around their heart. And so rather than running to God, they ran away from God. And then what did Adam and Eve do after they hid from God? Look at verse 12 to 13, what the Bible says here. We need to listen and obey and believe in the Word of God. It has all the answers for us. What do you say? Amen? 
So 12 and 13, the Bible says, Then the man said, God says, Why were you naked? Have you eaten on a tree? And the man said this, The woman who you gave to me, right, gave me up the tree, and I did eat, right? So who did Adam blame for what happened? Eve, right? But ultimately who? God, right? Because the woman, what? You gave to me. In other words, you're the one to blame. So because of what he went through, he started to blame God. So that's why he ran. He was, he was upset at God for, the, you know, you did, it was, you're the one that planned it all out, and this is what happened, so it's really your fault, right? And then it didn't end there, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She blamed the serpent, but who gave the serpent? God, right? So she blamed, you know, I believe, blamed God as well. So and because of that blame game and hiding from intimacy, knows your handout that says this. It says, when you hurt, you hide and isolate yourselves. You build up walls. When you build a wall up around your heart and you, to protect your heart, right? Because of fear is driving that. What happens to your intimacy then? You lose that intimacy. I believe this is the greatest need that I'm seeing, not only in the world, but even in our churches today. There is a great hunger for intimacy. And the reason why I believe it's so great is because people are continuing on their Christian walk, but the more hurt they get, another layer of brick and mortar goes up. The more hurt they get, another layer. And the more older you get, you can choose the one of either two roads, the road of bitterness or the road to healing. And that's what God wants to experience healing. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen. Let's go to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Let's see another story here and see what God can show us. John chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. How about intimacy? John 4, verse 6 to 7. So when did this woman come out? Do you guys remember? Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The, the day started at 6 o'clock. So 6 plus 6 is what? 12. So noon, right? And then a woman of Samaria came and said to Jesus, give me a drink. So this was at noon, and, you know, this is hot compared to, actually, this is actually nice weather, but when we're, like, we're staying a couple of days in Rancho Cucamonga, man, that was really hot this week for me. I mean, I, I, Hawaii is hot, but that's really hot, okay? I think where we live is like 80s, mid-80s, and that's hot with the humidity, of course. But can you imagine in the high desert how hot it would be? And that when would you normally want to come to actually get water? In, at midday, at noon? Is that when you want to come? When do you want to come? Morning. Early in the morning or what? Why? But it's cool like air conditioning in this room, right? Amen? <laughs> so you want that coolness. But unfortunately, she went in the middle of the day. And why do you think that she came in the middle of the day? Okay, she didn't want the ladies to know why she did that because they were probably what? Talking about her, gossiping about her. So what kept her away from the morning and night? It was what? Fear. fear of what? Having any type of relationships or intimacy because of fear of what they're going to talk bad about her, right? Her heart's hurt. She built up walls around her, and that was what was going on. So it was scorching hot. Well, how did this woman try to fill her hunger for intimacy? Turn to verse 16 to 18. Notice the Bible says. The Bible said, Jesus said to her, Go call your what? Husband and come here. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you had five husbands, and the one whom you have now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. So this woman sought intimacy through relationships, but it never worked out. She never got the intimacy she was looking for. See, in the same way, people are trying to fill up their lives with the things that promise intimacy, but which never deliver. And this woman was getting to relationship after relationship, married, divorce, married, divorce, relationship, addicted to relationships, thinking that that's relationships going to make them feel better and actually bring the happiness they're longing for, and maybe even experiencing sex, right? But you know, sex is not true intimacy. You know what the definition of intimacy is? Into me see. Intimacy. Amen? <laughs> In other words, fully known, right? Fully loved, naked and unashamed between husband and wife. You can look into me fully and see me who I really am. You know, that is so beautiful. When you can get into a relationship, when the other person, you can be totally real with your spouse, and the other person can be totally real with you, and know everything there is no, to know about you, and yet as you are, they love you just as you are. What do you say, amen? amen? That's beautiful. You know what that is? That is the gospel. Can you hear amen? Amen? amen. God knows everything there is to know about you, and he loves you just as you are. What do you say, Amen. And that's the gospel we need to show to people. That's the intimacy that God wanted us to have with God and with one another, that intimacy, see who I really am. And I'm going to accept you as you are. And so what happened next? Jesus was trying to call this lady out, right? In the, in the Bible here in verse 16 and 18. He said, in other words, they're talking. And he went, why do you think Jesus said, go call your husband? Did he know that she didn't have a husband? She know, right? Want to see the correct answer? I believe the reason why Jesus called her out on that because he wanted to go into the broken pain of her past so she could experience emotional healing. Amen? Jesus was the greatest biblical counselor there ever was. What do you say, amen? He could go back. He wanted to draw it out of her, but he said, go call your husband. Did she want to go there? Not at all. She said, go call your husband. And all she said is, I have no husband. End of story. In other words, short answer, I don't want to go there. You ever been around people like that? The pain is so deep. The past hurts too much. I don't want to talk about it. And that's what she said to Jesus. I don't want to talk about it. Short answer. Then Jesus said, yeah, that's right. You have no husband. And in fact, you had five husbands. And the one you're living with, you're shacking up. You're actually not even married to that guy. In other words, Jesus is going back to the brokenness of her past. It's an interesting thing that before this, she said to him in verse 15, Sir, look at verse 15. She said, Sir, give me this what? Water. In other words, she said, give me this present truth. Can you hear amen? Amen? Give me this present truth. I want to hear present truth. I want to know what is truth. If you somebody said to you, tell me present truth. I want to know the truth. What would you tell them? Amen. Amen. Tell about Jesus. Amen. And I've seen studies where like somebody just lost a child. A Bible worker go right in there. Sorry, you lost your child. 
Well, let's get back to our Bible study and let's study the 2300-day prophecy. Are you following me? Are you going to a divorce? I'm sorry to hear about that. But let me tell you about the 70-week prophecy in the Bible study here. Are you following me? They're not able to relate to the real issues of their life. She said, give me this truth. Someone's a begging for living water. What would you give them? This is Jesus' method. Jesus didn't give them all this, I like he said this money, facts, right? Jesus went a step further. He went back to her life and all her broken past five relationships of her brokenness in her past because he knew she needed to experience emotional healing from her past before she could be made whole. And that was present truth for her. And then it says here, so she said that. And then finally, she, he tried to go there. She said, I have no husband. Then she said, that's what happens next. She, then she told him about all the things that happened, right? And Jesus said, oh, you have five husbands. You've been married, divorced. You're broken. You're, you're hurting. You haven't healed from all these things. And then I want you to notice, is this getting pretty deep now, this conversation? Jesus going down into the forbidden, deep, dark secrets of her life? Yes. How did this woman react? I want you to notice her reaction. Verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So what did this woman do? She changed the subject, okay, because it was too deep for her. You're dealing with her emotional past, her brokenness and emotional healing. But like many Christians today, they don't want to go there. And she did not want to go there. But specifically, where did she want to go? Where did she go? She went to a theological dispute. Are you hearing me, church? Which mountain is the right mountain to worship on? Is it this the right way, the truth? Or is it that truth? Are you following me, church? In other words, to run from the pain and the brokenness of her life she ran to a theological dispute. Can I hear a big amen? 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 Do you know anyone like that? I want you to notice this quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy. I'm going to read it slowly. It's in your handout. I want you to notice what it says. It says this. There needs to be far more lessons in the ministry of the word of true conversion, or actually of the true gospel, right? Of the truth, of dealing with your conversion, than of the arguments of the what? doctrines of truth. Can you hear amen? Amen? amen. Ellen White says, why did she say that? Why did she say does it mean more lessons on true conversion of the practical godliness than the arguments of the doctrines? She says, for it is far easier and more natural for the heart that is not under the control of the Spirit of Christ, so the unconverted person would rather choose doctrinal subjects rather than the practical. In other words, the unconverted person would rather talk to you about doctrinal subjects and arguments than upon the practical godliness and true conversion. If that's clear, let me, let me hear you say amen. Amen? You see, the people who like to fight over doctrines in the church, I found, are the most unhealed people with emotional wounds. Did you know that? I'm going to say that again. And I'm telling you this from experience, because that's me, Okay? This is my story. The people who have the most unhealed emotional wounds 
or ones who like to fight with you about the doctrines. It's more easier for the person not under the control of the Spirit of Christ to choose doctrinal subjects rather than the practical, the practical that really works. They push the methodologies onto the church, onto you. Do you know anyone like that? Maybe you've seen a person in the mirror a time or two. Amen. <laughs> show me a person who likes to fight over theology, and I'll show you a person who has deep, unresolved anger against those who have hurt them. Show me a person who's consumed with teaching new light, and I'll show you a person who's emotionally wounded from their father or their mother. Show me a person who's addicted to hearing only the doctrinal facts and sermons on the internet, and I'll show you someone who comes from a messed up home. And just like the Samaritan woman, there are many out there who often like to detract from the real issue, which is the fact that we have not allowed Jesus to heal us from our past emotional wounds. I want to be healed. How about you? What do you say? Amen? They're broken. You know, I ran a program um, for Bible workers, and um, I remember there's a lot of present truth. People came to my church, and really hardcore present truth. And you know, these Bible workers, and one time, this Bible worker came to me and said, Pastor, can I talk to you before I leave? And I said, sure. So let's go into the church. I leave tomorrow. I want to talk to you. And this was like hardcore present too. She was really hardcore. And so I went into the church with her, and she said to me, Pastor, when I came to this place, I thought I was going to receive something. But you know what, Pastor? I didn't get what I was looking for since I came to your church. And I'm like, what? I thought about it. I'm thinking of it to myself. Wait a minute. We gave them like classes, how to get Bible studies. We took them into the field. It was very successful. We actually did the old-fashioned tent camp meeting. We pitched a tent like out here. Had the evangelistic meetings in there. I mean, we had, no one was doing that. And we're doing and all this training and everything. And I felt like, what more can we teach you? And then she said to me, Pastor, when I came here to this church, I was looking for a father in you. And I didn't get what I was looking for. And you know what I realized? That was my turning point in my ministry. That was when I realized this text came through alive for me. That a lot of these young people who were so hardcore on present truth and had no tact in how they talk to people were really hurting inside and they're looking for love. And you know what? There are people in your church today who are looking for love from you. They're looking for love to have, see Jesus inside of your life. They want to see something different. And I don't care how hardcore a person is, everyone was made for love because we were created in the image of God. What do you say, amen? If the image of God, then what is God? God is love. In other words, we were created in the image of love to love and to be loved. And you can hide all you want like this woman. She's hurting. She has broken relationship. Divorce, married, broken relationship, broken relationship, hurt heart, walls around her heart. And Jesus tried to go, and all she could think about was a theological fight with Jesus. You know why people do that? Because they're hurt so much. You know why they go to theology? Because they've been hurt so many times that they have to find someone they can trust. And if you can actually jump over the theological hurdle and actually agree with them, somehow they're going to feel that they can then trust you. And if you agree with them, then everything's okay with you, right? Is that not true, right? They're on your side and you're on their side because you jumped the hurdle. You can now be trusted. 
they're afraid of getting hurt. That fear that Adam and Eve had, they have it in their heart. They built walls around their heart. They didn't want to get hurt. And beloved, we need to give them the love they never had. And God's calling you to get that love. And beloved, maybe you're the one that's hurt. Maybe you're the one you sucked up. Maybe the people don't even want to be around you because you're so mean to them and how you say you need to learn this, you need to do this. How come you're not doing that? But beloved, God wants you to experience healing in your life. I want that. How about you? Amen? These people have been hurt. You know, this theme that we have, hurt people, hurt people. The reason why they're hurting people, even with theology, because they themselves have been hurt. And they need to experience healing in their life. You know, it's so interesting. We get so sucked up in controversy. This is how it is. I remember I gave this sermon in my church. I'll never forget that day. Because I came out of that church, and we were at Potluck, and one of had a group of people discussing something. And I went over there, and I said, hey, how's it going? He said, hey, pastor, come over here. Because um, they're saying that this is true, but I'm saying that this is true. What do you think? I said, well, you know what? I think this and this and this is the truth. And then another person was walking by and then said, hey, so-and-so, Karen, we're discussing this truth and this is outside and this is their side. What do you think? And she said, it's neither in this mountain nor in that mountain. <laughs> exactly what Jesus said. And as a rebuke to me, we realized that it's so easy to get sucked up in this controversy. Is it not, right? And that's a symptom. You know, the world has falsely educated us to deal with symptoms. Very few people, I realize, can learn how to deal with the root causes and solve the problem from the root cause because we've been educated falsely to deal with symptoms. And so dealing with the root cause, to understand that somebody is hurting is more important than actually what's happening out where you can see in the open. Now, go to Revelation 13, verse 11. Revelation 13, verse 11 in your Bibles. Let's look at prophecy, Bible prophecy again. How many love Bible prophecy? Let me see hands. Amen? Okay, amen. Hey, why don't everybody stand up again? Why don't you do the exercise we did in the first one? Stand up, raise your hand. Okay, so you don't fall asleep. You're not there yet, I know. But, you know, this will help you get more into it in the last half hour. Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Okay. Okay, good. You feel good? Okay, now you can sit down. <laughs> Revelation 13, thank you, thank you. Revelation 13, verse 11. Okay, you feel good. You guys look happy. Let me see the big smiles. Amen? Okay, good. <laughs> okay, Revelation 13, verse 11. And right after lunch, I know. 13, verse 11. We look at Bible prophecy here, okay? Look what it says here. Then it says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. We talked about this in the last presentation. But I want to focus on the United States of America, but I want to focus on a different aspect of this verse. And what it's saying is this, that it looks like a lamb, this nation, right? Which is a, who's the lamb? Jesus, right? Jesus is the lamb, right? And this is the United States of America, right? Bible prophecy, you're right. So, but it looks like a lamb. It looks like a Christian nation on the outside, right? But it speaks like a dragon, we learn, right? And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if it speaks like a dragon, it has the heart of a dragon. So the inside is corrupt, but the outside looks good. We're founded upon Christian principles as a nation, right? The world knows it as a Christian nation, but the inside is corrupt as a dragon, right? It's not dragon, it's not good, it's bad. Okay, now, do you think that this beast power wants the rest of the world to know that it's a dragon on the inside? 
No. So if it doesn't want the rest of the world to know that it's a dragon, what do you think it wants to do? Make sure that there is no leaks. Are you following me? To protect everyone knowing that it's really a dragon on the inside. WikiLeaks, are you following me? <laughs> so it protects it. But at the same time, institutional lack of intimacy, it doesn't want anyone to know what's its own heart as a nation. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? But at the same time, it wants to know the inside thoughts and feelings of everyone else and all the citizens, and thus is spying upon everyone. Are you following me? That is false intimacy. Now, a nation is made up of what? People. So when the Bible prophecy is talking about the United States and Bible prophecy, it's really talking about how you and I would be like in the last days. Because the nation is only made up of people, and the reason why the nation thinks like this is because the people are already thinking and acting this way as well. So that means that we are prophesied in the last days to be a people who like to hide who we really are on the inside, put up a front and pretend to be something we're not. At the same time, we like to know everything about everyone else all around us. Thus we have what I call FBI checks or Facebook investigations. How many, come on, can I have a witness here? Amen. Who's done that before? Let me raise your hand. Only me. Oh, I see hands going up. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> You go there, you kind of look at someone's profile to see if like, they're going to be a work, good worker as a Bible worker for your church, right? You see what they're posting or as a worker or even as a friend or an interest, right? So you kind of decide, you want to know what other people are doing. Gossip goes around. You know, there is gossip even in a church, right? Sanctified gossip sometimes. Oh, pray for so-and-so, they're going to a divorce. I mean, you know, we want to know all these different things, right, that's going on in church. We know, but we want no one to know what's going on in our hearts, the innermost deep, dark secrets of our own hearts. You know, it's so sad. I had a church member tell me, and I wasn't even close to him, barely knew him. He said, Pastor, you're my only friend. You know how sad I felt him knowing that I hardly even knew this guy and I'm his only friend? Is our church the only isolated incident out there, you think? You think people are, are lonely out there? We're living in an independent Western society. We're talking about that tomorrow in our sessions. There's not that biblical community that used to once be in our churches. And they're empty and they're broken. There is a solution. Can you hear amen? Amen? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I would say this is my favorite text in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I have many favorite texts. I would say this is one of my, one of my favorite texts, okay? Because I have a few others I'm remembering right now. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And I love this text. I just, it's so beautiful to me. It says here, Romans 5, verse 8. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that when we had become perfect, Christ died for us. Can you hear amen? What is, what is it, Brother Ernest? And as while we were making mistakes, we didn't do things right, 
God not only loved us with his words, but he sent his son to die for us with his actions, because action speaks louder than what? Words. Words. In other words, God loved you and accepted you while you were yet sinning, making mistakes, a failure, a mess up. You know, that's not how we think in the world. We think that if we show ourselves to be a mess up and we make mistakes and we're sinners in the church, that people are not going to like us. And rightly so. People are probably going to avoid us because they don't want to be around us because we put our best foot forward. But the amazing thing about the gospel is this, that you can still mess up. You can be who you are, as messed up and real and ugly your character really is, and God's going to love you just as you are. Isn't that beautiful? Amen? And then when you experience that love that's so beautiful, you're going to be so touched and moved and motivated, you're going to want to be obedient and serve and go and sin no more. Can you hear amen? Amen? That's what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. Are you following me? He said, because I love you and I don't condemn you, and your heart's going to be so moved by that, you are going to go and you are going to sin no more. Can you hear amen? Amen? Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Faith which works by what? Love. In other words, love is a power which makes faith work. Can faith work without love? No, that's why it's dead. But if faith has love, it will work. Can you hear amen? Amen? That's why Ellen White says, love is the agent by which sin is expelled from the heart. Can you hear amen? Amen? In other words, can you expel sin from the heart without love, according to that quotation? No. You can have a religion without God's love, but will you have a victorious religion without God's love? No. And I think we miss that a lot of times. We have to have God's love. Without God's love, there is no true victory over sin. There is no true victorious Christian walk. And I don't care how much times you hear a sermon preached or you're preaching or you're preaching about all the things that you need to do. If you preach a message without the love of God, especially revealed on the cross of Calvary, without the love of God, you are making people more discouraged because you're telling them what to do and you're not giving them the power to do it. It's like me telling my, my daughter, you know, she, uh, my dad fixed cars, I fixed cars. So I taught her to fix the brakes. We did it a few times and the last, the time before, actually the last two times, I did one side and then I said, okay, Anya, you're on your own. I'm going inside the house and you call me when you're done. So I went inside, and like, I think it was like 45 minutes. She said, Dad, I'm done. And I came out, inspected the front brake, and she did it. But what if for the first time I said to my daughter, Anya, you've never seen brakes change before. And we've done it so many times before, right? What I said to my daughter, Anya, you never changed brakes before, but you know what? I believe in you, and you can do it. Go ahead and do it. And I left her for well, how do you think she's going to feel? How would you feel? <laughs> Discouraged, right? I'm telling her what to do, but I'm not giving her the tools or the power to do it. Are you following me? So what happens when I'm preaching sermons and I'm telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that, don't do this and don't do that, but I don't give you the power, which is love, to accomplish what I'm asking you to do. How are you going to feel then? Frustrated? Discouraged? Maybe after a while you realize maybe this Christian experience is not for me. 
Maybe I should just leave God in the church, maybe? Is love important? Very important. That's why Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him what? Crucified. What does the cross reveal? It reveals the beautiful love of God. That's why he finally came to the conclusion. And that's what we should do in the last days. What do you say? Amen? That's what God wants. So I had a saying. You know, in Hawaii, there's a, you know, we have sayings everywhere, okay? Like, how many of you guys heard of this before in Hawaii? We say, if can, can. If no can, no can. How many of you guys heard that before? Okay, never heard that. Okay, a few of you heard. Okay, let me interpret, okay? It means that, okay, I'm saying, hey, you know, I need help moving. But it, you know, it's going to be a lot. I need a truck. You know, I know you're working late, but I need your help. And the guy looks a little bit hesitant and goes, look, if can, can. If no can, no can. I mean, like, if you can do it, great. If not, hey, no worry. Don't worry about it. Are you following me? It's okay. So they have these little sayings. That's like, you can, can. If no can, no can. Okay? So that's what we say. So I kind of like, you know, being from Hawaii, I made up my own saying, talk, referring to the sermon. So my saying is this. Profound. I say, Where you're at is where you're at. How's that? <laughs> is that profound? That's it already. I'm done, okay? I know you're expecting for something else, right? Where you're at? Isn't that how God treats us? Where you're at? That's where you're at. If you're going to leave this whole, this, like, this whole seminar, this whole weekend, with, you know, if you come to these meetings, if you can just remember, remember that, that's profound, right? Where you're at is where you're at. And I add a little bit, so don't act, right? In other words, that's how God treats us. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Where you're at is where you're at. And that's how I treat people, like, People were like, I'm, I'll never forget, I was at the hospital, the visitation, I was coming outside, and I saw a church member, and it was an ex-old church member there, and they saw me, and he, this guy was smoking, and not the e-cigarette, but the regular smoking one, and he saw me coming, and I saw him in the side, I wasn't looking directly, so he didn't think I saw him, he put his cigarette down, and he's looking around, and he, he put his cigarette in, in his pocket. <laughs> And I'm talking to him, and he's like, <laughs> smoking coming out. <laughs> and, I'm like, and, I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I better go. This guy's going to burn, right? <laughs> so so I, I just got to, I left. But yeah, I, learned, I learned something. I treat people that way. And you know, that breaks down a lot of barriers. Because I'm a pastor, they come with me, they they have to act a certain way. And they pretend to be something they're not all the time. You know, I have that all the time. They want to pretend. And, you know, I've had people, I, I go to the front of the door. I used to visit people, and they come in the door. And I said, oh, happy Sabbath. And, you know, sometimes I have visitors that just ignore me. When we look at me, just walk right in. After I preach my sermon, I'm outside of the church. And they come outside, oh, I didn't know you were the pastor. And they shake my hand. People pretending all the time. Have you heard this saying like, oh, I could never go into church because if I went to church, all the walls would fall down. Have you heard that before? The walls, would the walls really fall down if some sinner walk into church? We walk into church all the time. It's still up, right? <laughs> <laughs> Laodicea is walking in. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
And these sinners, Jesus hung around the sinners. He had conflict with the religious leaders in the church. My idea is hang with the sinners. Reach out to them. They're hungry. And where they're at is where they're at. You know, God's going to do miracles through you if you do that. You think that that's evangelism right there, personal evangelism. My mindset is that, you know, I don't care where you've been, what you've done. I'm in the same level as you. I'm not better than you. We're all on the same page. And I'm going to meet you wherever you're at. And, you know, by thinking that mindset, you're not better than them, the walls will come down. They're going to trust you. And then you're going to see miracles happen in people's lives. I'm telling you, God's going to work miracles. But you have to break that mindset. Laodicea has a pride. We think we're better than everyone else because we have the truth. We think we're better than everyone else because we have the Sabbath. We think we're better than everyone else because we have the prophet. We think we're better than everyone else because we're the true church. And we don't think we're prideful in that, but other people in the world, they can sense it. They sense that there's a caste system between you and them. And when you break down that caste system, until you break down that caste system, you're not really going to be able to reach them. We need to break down. You know, Jesus is so amazing. He broke that caste system down. Did he not? Right? He broke it down. That's why they're upset at him. You know, the amazing thing about Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, he had no positions in the church. Can you imagine that? He had no degrees. And they said, how has this man learned? Right? Having no letters, right? And who gave you this authority? I mean, who, what positions do you have in the church, right? And who gave you this authority? And how does man learn? In other words, no, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't unlearned. And they called Jesus and the disciples ignorant. That's what Ellen White says. Not that Jesus was ignorant. He's the most wisest man in the universe. Well, and God, right, in the universe. And the, the boldness to call Jesus as ignorant, right, and dumb, because he didn't have that formal education. But yet, at the same time, he was the most wisest. So in other words, Jesus didn't depend upon his positions or his background. He depended upon his love for the people and the influence. So Jesus had influence but no position and authority. But the religious leaders had position, but they didn't have the influence. And that's why they're all running to Jesus. And that's why they finally came to the conclusion, the religious leaders said, better that one man should what? Die, than we lose the whole system. Better to kill this man who's breaking down this caste system. Are you following me? That all ye are brethren and you're all equal. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? You can do it. God can use you. But you're never going to reach people with an attitude thinking that you know more than them and you're going to teach them something. Even though you do know more than them. Yeah. Amen. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Brother Ernest, amen. God wants to teach us all. You know, the, the Israelites, they were slaves. You know one thing that drives slaves and slavery? Fear. It was fear. And you know when the Emancipation Proclamation came out? Even though that came out and said, you're all free, do you know there were some slaves, many slaves that actually didn't leave the master? Because the fear of the unknown was greater than the fear of being a slave where they're at. How am I going to make it? How am I going to make money? How am I going to support my family? Are you following me? Fear, it paralyzes you. 
So the Israelites were in slavery. They're in fear all these years. And then God brought them to the, the promised land, but they were so much in fear they couldn't go into the promised land. They were afraid of it. So they had to go 40 years, and it took them 40 years for the minds to be restored back to them, They're not living in fear and God's love. And then many times they would have to go back to the slavery of fear back then, right? They were being abused and living that abuse, but they learned to trust in God and that love of God that cast out all fear. And so finally, when they went into the promised land, they went to Jericho, right, remember? And they marched around Jericho. And what happened to the walls of Jericho? Had fallen down. You know what that represents, I believe? It represents that the walls around their hearts have fallen down as well, and they have learned to trust God and each other once again. What do you say? Amen? Amen. And that's what God wants to do with your heart and my heart as well. Now, God has taught me a lot of lessons in my life and about healing and how he wants to change my heart. I know God wants to change your heart as well. You know, the book of Revelation talks about intimacy. Revelation means revealing. So the revelation of who? So is this a revealing of who Jesus Christ really is? A transparent, Jesus said, I want to be transparent of who I really am. Because if you know who I really am, to know me is to love me. That's what the revealing of Jesus Christ really is, right? That's what true revelation seminar should really be. And then, you know, the 144,000, there's no guile or deception in their what? In other words, they're no longer de- deceiving people to think that there's somebody they're not. They're going to be real and transparent in the last days. That's the 144,000. Okay, amen. Amen? True Christ's character is shining out through them. This final generation will be so transparent in their lives because they have seen the love and transparency of Jesus on the cross of Calvary in a way that had not been seen before. That's why the Ellen White says, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of what? Love. That's the last message of mercy to be given. The last message is a revelation of his character of love. This is a true story. There's a pastor in Ohio that asked a member in his church who was a surgeon if he could actually watch a surgery being performed. And so, open-heart surgery. The doctor, you know, he permitted him to observe. So the pastor sat in the corner of the operating room, and he's watching what's going on over there. But while this physician was in surgery, you know, he removed the woman's heart. He repaired what was wrong. Put the heart back into the woman's chest. But that heart wouldn't beat. So he went back into the chest cavity, pulled out the heart, massaged it a little bit, put the heart back into the chest cavity, and the heart still wouldn't beat. He started to use other procedures and was worried a little bit and tried to do everything possible to get the heart beating again and put it back inside the chest cavity and still no beat. Finally, the surgeon knelt down beside his patient, took off his surgeon's mask and said, Mrs. Johnson, this is your surgeon. The operation went perfectly. And your heart has been repaired. 
but I need you to tell your heart to beat again. When he finished saying those words, her heart began to beat again. Beloved, maybe this is you this afternoon. Maybe you built walls around your heart. Maybe you made a mess of relationships in your life. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your parents. You made a wreck of your life. Your children, you no longer talk to them. Your parents, you can't get along with them. Your brothers and sisters, you fight. Your church members are arguing. You can't get along with your pastor or your members. Beloved, God can move, God can give you the light to the darkness, but you have to remove the stone. God can do miracles in your life, but you have to have the will to want to do it and for your heart to beat again. I want that. How about you? Amen? I'm just going to sing a song, close off today's session. I'm going to read some words to you. It says, It says, you're shattered like you've never been before. The life you knew in a thousand pieces on the floor. And words fall short in times like these. When this world drives you to your knees, you think you're never going to get back to the you that you used to be. Tell your heart to beat again. Close your eyes and breathe it in. Let the shadows fall away. Step into the light of grace. Yesterday's a closing door. You don't live there anymore. Say goodbye to where you've been and tell your heart to beat again. I'm going to read the second verse. It says, beginning, just let that word wash over you. It's all right now. Love's healing hands have pulled you through. So get back up. Take step one. Leave the darkness. Feel the sun. Because your story is far from over. And your journey's just begun. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.